Chapter Twenty Three of the Great White Queen by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Twenty Three, Under the Vampire's Wing. When our dazzled gaze grew accustomed to the garish blaze of lights, we found ourselves standing in an enormous cavern. Around us were glowing fires and shining torches innumerable. The smoke from them half choked us, while above there seemed an immensity of darkness, for the roof of the natural chamber was so high that it could not be discerned. Upon one object, weird and horrible, our startled gaze became riveted. Straight before us, at some little distance, there rose a great black rock to a height of, as far as I could judge, a thousand feet. Nearly halfway up was a great white ledge or platform larger than any of the marketplaces in the City of the Clouds, and upon this there had been fashioned from the solid rock a colossal representation of the vampire bat, the device borne upon the banners of Mo. Its enormous wings, each fully five hundred feet from the body to the tip, outstretched on either side and supported by gigantic pillars of rock carved to represent various grotesque and hidden figures of men and animals, formed great temples on either side of the body. The latter, however, attracted our attention more than did the wonderful wings, for as we stood aghast and amazed we discerned that the vast body of the colossus did not represent that of a bat, but the gigantic jaws were those of a crocodile. "'Zomara!' gasped Omar. "'See!' It is the great god with the wings of a bat and the tail of a lion. I looked and saw that far behind rose the tufted tail of the king of the forest. From the two great eyes of the gigantic reptile shone dazzling streams of white light, like the rays of a mariner's beacon, and everywhere twinkling yellow lights were moving about the face of the great rock, across the platform whereon the colossal figure rested, even to the distant summit. Suddenly, as we stood gazing open-mouthed in wonder, the roar of a hundred war-drums beaten somewhere in the vicinity of the enormous representation of the terrible deity of Mo rolled and echoed to the innermost recesses of the subterranean vault, and just as they had ceased we distinctly saw the great jaws of the crocodile slowly open. From them belched forth great tongues of flame and thick stifling smoke that, beaten down by a draught from above, curled its poisonous fumes around us, causing us to cough violently. For fully a moment the great mouth remained open, when, to our horror, we saw a small knot of human figures approaching it. One loud piercing shriek reached us, and at that instant we saw the figure of a man or woman, we were not close enough to discern which, flung by the others headlong into the open flaming mouth. Again the drums rolled, and the next second the jaws of Zamara closed with a loud crash that sent a shudder through us. "'The sacrifice!' gasped Omar. "'This, then, is one of the horrible customs that Galiba told us had been introduced by my mother, the great white queen.' "'Horrible!' I exclaimed. "'That fearful cry will haunt me to my dying day.' "'Let us return,' said Kona. "'We have witnessed enough, O master.' "'No,' Omar answered. "'Rather let us see for ourselves,' the true extent of these terrible rites. Galiba, though, alas, he is lost for ever, intended that we should. Very well, I said, lead us and we will follow. At that moment footsteps, pattering as those of children, reached our ears, and there ran past us half a dozen hideous half-clad dwarfs. 
They were tiny, impish-looking creatures, about three feet six high, with darker skins than the inhabitants of this mystic land, but their faces were whitewashed in manner similar to those of the royal executioners of Ashante, and wore their crisp black hair drawn to a knot on top similar to the fashion affected by some savage tribes. As they rushed past us their little black eyes, piercing and bead-like, regarded us curiously, and with, we thought, a rather menacing glance. Nevertheless they continued their way, and watching we noticed the spot where they commenced the toilsome ascent to the platform, whereon stood the colossus. "'Such a work as that must have taken years to accomplish,' I observed to Omar. "'With the Sanams of Mo everything is possible,' he answered. "'The ruler of our country is a monarch whose will is so absolute that he or she can compel everyone, from prince to slave, to participate in any work. Thus the Naya may have caused every male inhabitant of Mo to help in its construction. When, however, following the doors we had hurried forward to the steps cut in the black rock, I bent to examine them. They were polished by the wear of ages of feet and hands passing over them, and when I pointed out this fact to Omar he agreed with me that this place must have been in existence centuries ago, and had probably been rediscovered within the last two or three years. The dwarfs, in ascending, put their toes into holes and niches in the rocks, and kept talking all the while. Every now and then they would stop, sway their heads about, and sing a kind of low chant in not unmusical tones. As we crept up slowly behind, with difficulty finding the rude steps in the uncertain light, the last of the string of dwarfs kept turning to us, bowing and crooning. I confess I began to be anxious, fearing that we might be going into a trap but I noticed that my two companions were calm as iron bars. This gave me renewed courage, and we toiled up until at last we reached the great platform and stood beneath the left-hand wing of the gigantic vampire of solid rock. The pillars that had been left in the excavations to support it were, like the steps, worn smooth where crowds of human beings had jostled against them. The manner in which they were sculptured was very remarkable the faces of all, both men, beasts, birds and fish, bearing hideous, uncanny expressions, the fearful grimaces of those suffering the most excruciating bodily tortures. It was here apparent, as everywhere, that the gigantic figure had not been recently fashioned, but had for many centuries past been visited by vast crowds of worshippers. Beneath the outstretched wing under which we stood a large number of people had assembled, Great blazing braziers here and there illuminated the weird place with a red uncertain glare, which, falling on the faces of the crowd of devotees, showed that they had worked themselves into a frenzy of religious fervor. Some were crying aloud to the crocodile god, some were prostrate on their faces with their lips to the stones worn smooth by the tramp of many feet, while many were going through all sorts of ceremonies and antics. At the end, where the colossal wing joined the body wherein burned the great fiery furnace, there stood twelve dwarfs in flowing garments of pure white. These were high priests of Zamara. The fierce pygmies, unknown even to Omar their prince, seemed a sacred tribe who perhaps had lived here forgotten and undiscovered for generations. In any case it was apparent that they never ascended to the land above, but devoted themselves entirely to the curious rites and ceremonies of this strange pagan religion. In the center of the semicircle of tiny bead-eyed priests with whitened faces 
stood one of great age with flowing white beard that nearly swept the ground his figure was exceedingly grotesque yet he bore himself with hauteur and as he stood before a kind of altar erected in front of a door that seemed to lead into the body of the gigantic crocodile he gave vent in a loud clear voice to the most earnest exhortations then bathing his face and hands in a golden bowl held by the other priest in order so i afterwards learnt to wash away the bad impressions of the world he thus began an instructive lesson give ear ye tender branches unto the words of your parent stock bend to the lessons of instruction and imbibe the maxims of age and experience as the ant creepeth not to its labour till led by its elders as the young lark soareth not to the sun but under the shadow of its mother's wing so neither doth the child of mortality spring forth to action unless the parent hand points out its destined labour but no labour shall the hand of man appoint unto the people of mo before the worship of zamara the sacred god of the crocodiles and of the great naya his handmaiden mean are the pursuits of the sons of the earth they stretch out their sinews like the patient mule they persevere in their chase after trifles as the camel in the desert beyond the thousand steps as the leopard springeth upon his prey so doth man rejoice over his riches and bask in the sun of slothfulness like the lion's cub on the stream of life float the bodies of the careless and the intemperate as the carcasses of the dead on the waves of the lake of sacrifices as the birds of prey destroy the carcass so is man devoured by sin no man is master over himself but the naya is his ruler and to endeavour to defeat the purpose of zamara is madness and folly o people pay your bows to the king of the crocodiles alone and not to your fetishes which though they be superior in your sight are yet the work of his hands let virtue be the basis of knowledge and let knowledge be as a slave before her the worshippers at the shrine of the dread god raising their right hands then repeated after the high priest some mystic words that although having no meaning for me struck terror into omar's heart hearken he whispered to me in an awed voice hearken our conspiracy against the naya is already known they are swearing allegiance to her and vowing vengeance against any who thwart her will if we are detected here as strangers it will mean certain death i glanced around the strange weird place and could not suppress a feeling of despair that we should ever leave it again alive the faces of the worshippers men and women illuminated by flaming flambeaux and burning braziers were all fierce and determined looking showing that the worship of the crocodile god was conducted in no faint spirit before this gigantic representation of the national deity they became seized with a religious mania that transformed them into veritable demons lo cried the silver-bearded priest think o people of all our great white queen hath done for you she hath brought down the moon's rays from the realms of night to lighten our darkness she hath marked the courses of the stairs with her wand and reduced eccentric orbs to the obedience of a system she hath caught the swift flying light and divided its rays she hath marshalled the emanations of the sun under their different hued banners given symmetry and order to the glare of the day explained the dark eternal laws of the forest god and showed herself always acquainted with the dictates of zamara his hearers swaying their bodies and performing all sorts of eccentric antics 
cried aloud in confirmation of the benefits bestowed upon Mo by its queen. The secrets, too, of chemistry have been laid open by her, continued the diminutive priest. Inert matter is engaged in warlike commotion, and she hath brought fire down from the heavens to entertain her. She hath placed our land in such a state of defense that no invader can approach it. She hath brought from over the great black water the amazing pom-poms of the English, which shed a thousand bullets at one charge, and she hath caused cannon to be cast to project explosive shells beyond the reach of the eye. She hath taught you at once the beauty of nature and the folly of man. Truly she is a great queen. Therefore let not her son Omar, who hath returned from over the great sea, wrest from her hand the regal scepter. Already hath our queen perceived the haughtiness and the vicious principles of her son, and maketh no doubt but that he will soon aspire to her throne. This causeth the prudent mistress of Mo to resolve to banish him and take all power from him. Let him be ejected from our country, and the queen's word be obeyed for no beam of mercy lurketh in her eye. The Naya is determined. The great Naya shall be obeyed, they cried aloud. Omar, the malicious prince, curbed by the authority of his mother, shall be banished, or his life shall, like those of his followers we hold here as prisoners, pay the forfeit of presumption, added the high priest. And as he uttered the words, those surrounding went to the door behind the fire-altar, and opening it, led forth three of our dagambas amid the savage howls of the excited spectators o race of mortals cried the priest raising his hand the while o race of mortals to whose care and protection the offspring of clay are committed say what hath been the success of your labours what vices have you punished what virtues rewarded what false lights have you extinguished what sacrifices have you made to the god of the crocodiles helpless race of mortals Zamara is your god, and the Naya your queen. But for their protection how vain would be your toils, how endless your researches! Arm ye then, and rally round the one to whom you owe all, whose power is such that this our country can never be assaulted by the tricks of fortune or the power of man. Omar and his black swarm of intruders must be driven out or given as sacrifice to Zamara. Till this be done, the curse of the god ye fear shall rest upon our land, and his presence shall nightly remind ye of your idleness. Will ye let the defiant prince overthrow your queen? He shall never do so, they shouted in a tumult of enthusiasm, which, ere it died away, increased tenfold, when suddenly before us we saw a female figure in a loose yellow robe, moved with stately mien towards the smoking altar, and kneel for an instant before it. Then, rising, she turned towards the people with her long, bare, scraggy arms uplifted in silence. In the red, flickering light we recognized the evil, bony features. It was the dreaded Naya herself. "'The vengeance of Zamara upon mine enemies!' she cried in harsh, metallic tones. "'I will treat each and every one who dareth to oppose me in the way I will now punish these three savages, who have entered our region forbidden. Watch and let it be a warning to those who may be tempted by bribes to entertain disloyal thoughts. With stately stride she led the way along a dark colonnade from beneath the wing of the colossal vampire to the enormous closed mouth of the hideous crocodile, being followed by the high priest and his attendants, who dragged along the three of our unfortunate companions. 
at once a headlong rush was made by the frenzied spectators to obtain a view of what was to transpire, and we followed leisurely at a respectable distance, remaining in the shadow of one of the grotesquely carved columns of rock. When all had taken up their places, we could see the expressions of abject fear upon the glistening faces of the wretched blacks, and longed to rush forth and rescue them, but with knowledge that instant death would result, from such foolhardiness we remained breathlessly silent, compelled to watch. Again the high priest, with outstretched hands over the people, cried, Give heed unto me! Were Zomara, the god whom we worship, to be worshipped in perfectness, the whole length of our lives would not suffice to lie prostrate before him. But the merciful avenger of wrong expecteth not more from us than we are able to pay him. True it is that we should begin early, and late take rest, and daily and hourly offer up our praises and petitions to the throne of his handmaiden's grace. But better is a late repentance than none, and the eleventh hour of the day for work than perpetual idleness unto the end of our time and this is not to be obtained for us but through our mighty Naya, the daughter of Zamara, the swallower-up of evil. Himself facing the hideous gigantic head, with its long jaws and gleaming eyes, he flung himself suddenly upon his knees and commenced a gabbled prayer. All prostrated themselves in adoration, even to the great Naya herself, whose magnificent jewels flashed and gleamed with wondrous brilliancy each time she moved. In order not to appear strange to this extraordinary proceeding, we, too, cast ourselves upon our knees, and remained with heads bent in devotional attitude, but allowing no detail of the weird scene to escape us. Suddenly the priest arose, and with a firebrand ignited at the brazier near his hand, he stood before the wonderful figure of Zamara, and made a mystic sign. Instantly the ponderous jaws with their double row of iron teeth each as long and as sharp as swords, slowly opened, and there issued forth a great roaring mass of flame that licked the upper jaw, a veritable tongue of fire. The Naya rose, swaying her long arms wildly, but the people remained still kneeling, silent in awe. Her voice was heard for a moment above the roaring and crackling of the furnace in the throat of the Colossus, and then, at a sudden signal from the high priest, our three wretched black companions were seized by the group of dwarfs, carried up a short flight of steps by white-robed attendants, and hurled headlong into the flaming mouth of the monster. A loud scream broke upon our ears, and for a single instant the flames belched forth with increased fury. But as the last victim of this horrible rite was consigned to his terrible doom, as sacrifice to the dreaded god, the cruel jaws closed again with a heavy clang. The merciless barbarity of the great white queen horrified us. The fearful fate of those who had shared our perils during our adventurous journey to this spectral land of mystery held us dumb in terror and dismay. Yet ere the giant jaws of the hideous monstrosity had snapped together, the people, hilarious and excited, sprang to their feet exhorting their great deity to send his fiercest vengeance upon us, the intruders, that our sinews might be withered and that we might rot by the roadside like cattle smitten by the pest. Then the terrible Naya, wheeling round slowly, gave her people her blessing, and they in turn shouted themselves hoarse in frantic adulation. Truly the scene was the strangest and most weird that my eyes had ever gazed upon. 
End of chapter 23. Recording by Tom Weiss. Tom's audiobooks.com.